Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. You can also support us by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the messy reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Kurt Monroe. Yeah, your eyes get opened up to certain things as you go along and realize what you were looking at wasn't quite what you were looking at. And some of that even is theological. Some of that's, you know, kind of reassessing some of the things you think theologically about Cyprianism maybe or or being reformed or being reformational particularly. And I mean, I think for me, some of that's coming out, the nuances between or what you mean when you say reformational, uh, mm. even what you mean when you say reformed and always reforming those kinds of yeah. things. Uh, so, so realizing that there are at least two major strands there in the CRC and they're not necessarily going in the same direction. Um, but then yeah. realizing too, you know, um, yeah, there is, I, I think maybe one of the things that's, my eyes have been opened up to recently and people have talked about this with regards to the, the vote counts at Synod is kind of where I, I think the, the beating heart of the CRC is in a lot of these issues and then kind of what gets portrayed from all of the official mouthpieces and the magazines and that kind of thing. So kind of realizing where the heart of the CRC is as opposed to where the portrayal is and then kind of navigating that how do you how do you you know navigate that and communicate that in the local context too so yeah i think i think that probably um lies beneath the frustration that many people are feeling in the christian reformed church as far as uh, members and pastors those who are really frustrated with what's happening in the Christian Reformed Church are frustrated because um, what's coming from the denomination 
doesn't seem to be a representation of the reality of what's in the pew. And so it feels like there's this disconnect, right? It's almost like there's a disconnect between the body and the soul of, of a person happening in our denomination. And people are like, well, what in the world? I, I don't think our, our the people in the pew actually believe this way, but everything coming out of the denomination seems to be kind of presenting this opposite, this, this other view, even though um, I just read, uh, I didn't read the whole thing yet. I just, I came across it literally like two minutes before we did this recording, but uh, Paul Vanderclay had wrote an article and he said back in like 2016, they had, um, they had surveyed all of the pastors in the Christian reformed church and 16%. So one six percent of the pastors in the CRC were affirming. So that was when? 2016. 16. Okay. So about six years ago. So I haven't double checked to see where he got those numbers, but that's what he's, so I'll just trust that Paul's not lying. Um, but um, so that's a small number, but that's fairly like, that's, I mean, even if he said push that number up to 20%, that's of still like one fifth of the denomination. And if you stretch that out into the pew, I bet it's probably less. I bet there are more affirming pastors than there are affirming percentage wise than affirming members in the CRC. So we're talking a pretty small minority of people who are actually like full out affirming. And yet uh, you don't get that feel when you read, when you read the banner or, or listen to our podcasts that are coming out or any of that. And, and that people are frustrated. I think people are frustrated because they don't know how to move forward either. Like, right. okay, what do we do? Like when, when the editor of the banner is writing things that are totally contrary to what our denomination holds, how do we, like, it sounds, I guess sounds bad, but whatever I'll say it. Like people are saying, how do we kick this guy out? Like we, he needs to be removed if he can't represent who we are. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I, that's absolutely right. I think there, there is a frustration that you're, you're working against your own denomination or, or at least it's um, you know, I, I've used the the language just to explain it. People like people talk about the deep state or whatever. It's like the CRC has a deep state, you know, a bureaucracy that's entrenched and that is actually opposed to the will of the vast majority of, of the members of the CRC. So what do you do when the people who hold the levers of power are working <laughs> against the best interests or at least the desires of the membership and certainly what we would view as the, the best interests of the members and the, our witness before the broader world. So yeah, I, that's a, that's a huge question. I think that's a huge question that lies before us is what do you do when your, your leadership is moving in the opposite direction that, mm -hmm. that your Senate just, I mean, the declarations yeah. of the Senate, right? Clearly, right. The de Senate declared very clearly where we were at and definitively. And yet yeah. there's voices coming out saying, well, is that really what they said? <laughs> right. And Kurt, kind of in tandem with that, I mean, you've, uh, you, you said you've been a synod two times. Is that right? Correct. Um, so you've not just learned a bit about this denomination uh, for some amount of years, but you've learned a lot about yourself too. Uh, you know, through these experiences on the synodical level, on the classical level, what kind of have you learned about yourself as a, as you've ministered in the CRC? Um, I, well, if you're talking about the classical and synodical level, I think one of the things, and I don't know if it's something I learned about myself, maybe it's just something that I learned about the nature of the beast, is the importance of preparation. Um, 
particularly this in it. I, you know, and I, we've, people have talked about that and it was 2000 synod 2019 recommended sending people two times in a row, which is one of the th- changes we just made at our classical level is to encourage that the way we establish who's going to be the delegates for the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went into 2015 and it is like drinking from a fire hose or whatever. You're just overwhelmed, unprepared. And and I had even tried to prepare in advance for that. But I think one of the things I learned is, you know, I, I thought of, of myself, oh, I'm not a person who could ever, you know, I, I hated sin in 2015. My experience was I just hated going and usually didn't care for classes meetings too much. Not a meeting kind of guy. Um, and, and so maybe that is something you learn about yourself. Well, suck it up. Uh, it's your responsibility. You have to do it and you have to take it seriously. And I think so this time around, the the delegates from Iacota, we've got a guy who's really, really good. Uh, John Lee is mm-hmm. phenomenally mm-hmm. talented in this way, uh, phenomenally talented in so many ways, but he helped the other three delegates. Okay, you guys aren't actually very good at this, but here are some just simple ways to be effective in your advisory committees, ways to be effective. If you're going to speak on the floor, ways to be effective when you speak on the floor, here's some things you should avoid. Here's some things you, so, so maybe that is something that I learned about myself is, yeah, I'm not actually gifted in those ways, but I still am responsible and I have to do the homework and have to do some simple things to prepare myself to be as effective as I can be. Uh, And, and to step into those responsibilities that you're given. So I don't know if that answers your question, Willie, but no, no, it, it really does. Um, how, how do you think your experience was, you know, just to talk about Cinda just for a little bit, how was your experience this year in contrast to 2015? Well, you know, I, 2015, I, it was, I was brand new, just utterly overwhelmed, but spiritually drained afterwards. And I, you know, I, I can't say necessarily why, but part of that was at this year's synod, I came in knowing more people and immediately connected with people who I felt camaraderie with. It felt like there was a band of brothers who was committed to prayerfully engaging what was happening. Um, felt like we were, you know, people at the very beginning of this thing said, you know, behave righteously, don't sin you know, love your neighbors while you're here, go into it prayerfully. And I felt like there was that spirit of, yeah, we're, we're up against it. There is a sense in which we're in a battle. Um, But I felt like there was just a band of brothers there that was working together for a common purpose that I felt was missing in 2015. So from that standpoint, it was just that much more encouraging um, to feel like, no, there are some people here who are taking this seriously, not just as you know, disembodied church politics or whatever, but no, we're actually doing the work of the church and we need to take this seriously. So I think that was part of the experience this time around was that, that sense of people are actually taking this seriously because this is of gospel relevance. This is about the good news for the world. This is about preserving the church. Um, so in 2015, I was alone. I felt alone and disconnected and, yeah. 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 That's a tough place to be feeling alone, disconnected, overwhelmed with work. And, 
And it, yeah. it's funny to say you were more overwhelmed in 2015 than 2022 with a 1300 page agenda, right? Yeah. 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 But yeah, because like this last synod was my first synod. And so I'm like, I'm thinking from here, it's going to be downhill. Like I, like 1300 page agenda. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I did I can't say I read all of it in detail, but I, I did skim at least all of it. Right. Like I, I knew what was going on. I did my research. I did come prepared because you have to, I mean, this is like you said, this isn't just some random business meeting. Like this is the work of the church right here in the world. And, uh, and I just love, I love, again, we'll just to tie in what the conversation you just had with what we were saying earlier, John Lee was doing discipleship. You know, yes. he's coming in alongside other delegates and saying, here, let me help you be ready for that. And I was able to do that, too. I, I recorded mine, but I sat down with a guy and like you've got lots of years of experience. You know, I sat down with um, Roger Sparks, who had been to Synod, I don't know, like 10 to 15 times and said, teach me. You know, I, I want to know what I'm doing when I get there. And he was so helpful in discipling me. And I connected with a few other guys, too. And so. Yeah, that discipleship is a it's a big deal for uh, for the future of the church. Yeah, and so have how has uh, I know we kind of stopped asking these questions, but I want to ask it now, anyways. The like, how has your church or the churches in your area how have they been responding to the decisions that were made at this past synod? By and large, with gratitude, you know, it, class of Sayakota is obviously leans fairly orthodox. So even in a few of the churches here where there would be some perhaps um, not splits, you know, not, not, I mean, I've certainly not like church splits, but division in opinions among the congregation members, those are minimal. So I think by and large, people are very, very pleased with what happened. And, you know, I think even people have seen an uptick in giving or desire to give to the denominational purposes. I think that'll be partly, at least that'll be contingent on the denomination, actually the apparatus, the bureaucracy of the denomination falling into line with what Synod decides. If they keep pushing against what Synod has decided, that'll probably diminish. But I think there's been a lot of encouragement among the, the local churches. Yeah. So, and I, and I recognize, you know, in that sense, what a gift to come home to in my particular instance, a congregation that, is excited about what happened. And I know that we've got um, fellow ministers of the word who went home to congregations that have much more difficult that, that can, that still need our prayer uh, for sure as they navigate what this means in their own context. So I'm really, really grateful to be in this classes and in my own congregation from that standpoint, for sure. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I, I had the same experience, people in my church who were excited about it but yeah it's also for those you know if there's anybody listening to this podcast they went back to a church that was really divided on this issue i mean reach out to one of us we we there's a lot of guys who want to be able to support you and help help you walk through this and and uh, you know we're not sitting there saying sucks to be you and just let you kind of go off no we want to be able to help support you kind of wade through this because we are in this together i mean that there's uh there's not this desire to kind of you know, there's people keep the, the progressives or whatever you want to call that want to keep portraying like we just want to boot everybody out of the denomination. And it's like, no, we're just trying to draw some lines here and have, to say my word again, clarity again on what we believe and where we stand as a denomination and uh, and stop with all this fuzziness stuff. And 
And I think it's starting to come through, which is good. I think, I mean, we're always going to be misrepresented and misaligned by those who are unhappy with the decisions that we're making. I think I'm, I'm, I've just settled for that. Yes. People are going to misrepresent me and call me a big mean jerk who wants to boot everybody out. But, but even just recently, uh, some of the interactions I've had on social media with a few guys who are progressives, I, they're even starting to say like, I don't know if it's worth just us keeping like fighting over, like just pounding on each other. It seems like the CRC is kind of where it's at. Right. And that was the point of Paul Vanderclay's article that I just read today. He's like, the CRC has repeatedly drawn this line in the sand. Like we're not moving on this. So why are we trying to like fight back and forth? Or why are people trying to like politically maneuver through like the Gravamen process and all of that? Like we're not changing as a denomination. So let's, let's come up with a way to like, let you leave graciously, find a way to, to work into another denomination where you can serve in good conscience. I mean, that seems like the right thing to do because we've, made it pretty clear as a denomination here's where we stand on this and so i'm hoping i'm hoping that people can see that like that's not us just being a jerk trying to kick people out it's saying here's where we're at we're not budging on this and now we want to like you know the words the rca used was gracious separation we want to let you go we're not going to try to like we're not going to do like what happened over the women in office we're not going to like depose a bunch of people for schismatic activity we just go and uh, and be part of a denomination where you can serve in good conscience. Yeah, I, you you brought the RCA into it, and so I'll, <laughs> like, yeah. thank you. So I know that at least around here, I don't want to get the horse before the cart, but there are some RCAs. You know, a lot of RCAs have left for the Alliance of Reformed Churches or the Kingdoms Networks. Mm-hmm. There are at least in our area, Heartland, Dakota area, some RCA churches that are talking to CRCs trying to get that conversation. What would it look like if RCA churches were to come into the CRC? Now, having not grown up in the CRC, not having that RCA CRC background and the divisions over Christian schooling and all of those kinds of things, you know, to me, it looks pretty straightforward that this would make a lot of sense for the progressives to leave the CRC and join the RCA. And those RCAs who are leaning more orthodox conservatives should join the CRC and we walk away with two denominations instead of six or whatever it's going to end up being. Right. So, but I know that there are histories, there's baggage, there's pain, all of that in the background there. That's not as old as we might think it is. And some of those wounds are still fresh, but Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you mentioned that. And I think, yes, can we recognize just let's look at this honestly. And I think there were some moments there on the floor Synod where people followed one another's, arguments to their logical conclusions there is a certain extent to which you have to say yeah the crc as it stands how could you if you're a progressive how could you stay in good conscience because if you believe what you believe then the crc is doing damage to human beings we are denying people something inherently good about themselves we are yeah we're we're, we're de- denying their humanity, right? So how can you be in partnership with that? You, these two things are not compatible. Yeah. So let's be honest about it. And let's just say, yeah, the tracks are too divergent for coexistence. Um, and let's walk away with two denominations instead of six. I, and I obviously there's more complexity there than it seems to this guy who's sitting out here in Northwest Iowa where that would just happen. But um, I'm interested in working at least toward that. Yeah. Well, and there's been talk, you know, there's been some unofficial talk. There's been some communications 
that have been sent to Synod. I think 2019, there was a communication sent from uh, BC North, I think, if I remember right, um, saying, hey, we should look into this because I think I shouldn't speak, but I've spoken to some classes in Canada even that said, we've got like 20 RCA churches that are looking in on what we're doing, wondering, like, we kind of want to join the, the CRC because we're conservative and we want to be part of that, but we don't want to join the CRC and then go through all these same battles again. And so yeah. they're kind of waiting and looking in. So there are RCA churches that want to join and want to be in fellowship with us. And then on the other hand, we have CRC churches who really don't want to be in fellowship with us. Yep. And so um, it would just, it just makes sense. And so I, I think we probably need to do some work to figure out how we can make this more of an official thing happening leading up to synod. And, and uh, you know, people want to say, we're trying to boot them out. No, but we're trying to help you serve in a place where you can serve in good conscience. And, mm-hmm. and we're trying to, I mean, sure. We're trying to help ourselves too, that we can serve in a denomination that we can serve in, in good conscience. And it's, it's getting tough for us to be in those spots. So let's just, agree to disagree on this matter you go there and then we'll we'll move forward and i think i saw a post where somebody said like we don't want this to be like the women in office issue where it was like 30 years back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and then all of the relationships were just beat to heck and destroyed by that the time that was over that was not wise of us to flip flop flip flop flip flop do that kind of a thing we just need to make a decision and then move forward in good conscience. That's what's best for all of us, all the pastors, the people in the pew, and the, what's best for our denomination is just make a decision, move forward, and give people a, a chance to, to move in a different direction. And I've heard people from the RCA say the same thing. Um, you, you need to decide something because here, if you don't, it's going to end up looking like this where they are, right? So you just need to decide now and do it. Just get it done with because it's where it ends. Uh, yeah regardless of what you think. So, you know, I, I wonder too, if part of the issue here is, you know, like you're talking about Paul Vanderclay's recent article, the CRC has not budged and it does not appear that the CRC is budging. So I think, I wonder if there is, nobody's witnessed a denomination who hasn't budged on this, you know, who's gone kind of where we've gone. And then to, I, I, I can't think, you know, Methodist, Anglican, I can't think of a single one who's gone this far down the progressive track, at least at a kind of denominational level, and then as strongly, you know, those kind of 70, 69, 70, 75% votes said, nope, we're not going down that path. So I almost wonder if some of the progressives just are flabbergasted, like, wait a second, this isn't the way this was supposed to go. And there's no, there's no playbook for what happens because it is always and inevitably and when we lived in tucson we were part of a presbyterian church usa you know so you see you watch that you know how it plays out Mm -hmm. um you watch the episcopal church and the acna you see there's this playbook and this is the way it goes and that was in so what happened here it didn't go according to plan so now how do you live well yeah and it's like that's what we've got to live with and that's what uh we've got to figure out so and how do you how do you deal with it? Nobody knows how to deal with the aftermath when it goes the way it did because nobody's ever done it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of truth to that, and a lot of people, I think a lot of us in the in the CRC were not super stunned by that. I I said, you know, I think you can go back on podcast recordings from two years ago where I was saying, 
I bet the CRC is probably 75, 80% conservative. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, yep. at least two thirds at, at the worst were two thirds, like 66% conservative. And so like, I'm on record saying that. So when all the numbers came out at Synod, I was like, Oh sweet. I wasn't like deluded. Right. I, this yeah. is where we're at. Um, and so, but, but people looking from the outside in, I've heard of uh, people and I'm not, but I'm not saying like high up people in the gospel coalition, but just people kind of connected in the infrastructure of the gospel coalition. You know, they had, uh, there was an article written through the gospel coalition about the CRC and, uh, and people from connected to the gospel coalition were like, really the CRC, we just assumed they were a liberal denomination. We just kind of had written them off. And so it's interesting that we're like, we're saying like, no, we're not, but people looking from the outside in again, because of the denominational stuff, the, the way they, the tone, everybody's like, we assume they're, they're liberal. And so I think that's probably where some of the progressive like shock value is too, where they're like, well, yeah, everything we're hearing from the denomination sounds like what we're saying. And then they get to synod and they go, wait a second. This isn't what we thought the CRC was. We thought the CRC was something else. And that's where, you know, that's where not to get too crazy, but that's where some of the conspiracy theory stuff comes up where it was like a coup and it was all manufactured and, and all of that stuff is because it's so contrary to what they thought the CRC was. But I think people are beginning to see clearer that, this is just who we've always been. And, uh, and now, you know, conservatives just sometimes they don't like to be involved in that kind of stuff. But when you get to something as serious as this, they're like, okay, now it's time. Now it's time to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think you're right. There is this, I experienced it even at Synod that kind of, I, I don't want to throw the whole of Grand Rapids under the bus because there's really good stuff in Grand Rapids too and good people in Grand Rapids, but there is this kind of, bubble and there was a moment in our and i know you're not supposed to, we're not supposed to talk too much about what happened in our meetings but there was a moment in our meeting when one of the members of our advisory committee said well when you're using these certain words you mean them one way and then there are other people who are going to use those same exact words and they mean them another way and it was the overture about white supremacy from classes los angeles and so you know biblical justice those kind of words and there were some west michigan delegates who were sitting next to each other and they looked at one another with utter like what in the world is he talking about and it was just this moment of clarity for me to say they are so inside of this bubble they don't even know yeah that there are people outside of the crc who think differently from them who who would think about those words in different ways they don't even know they exist and I was, I was not actually all that shocked by the numbers either. I don't know if I would have come. I would have said, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going to have far more than 50%. Wouldn't have taken a stab specifically. But just because if you go around the CRC, if you, you know, you go out to classes Atlantic Northeast, I think people would assume, oh, it's New England. Those people are going to be, that's a solid, it's just normal kind of solid confessionally reformed folks out there uh, and so you get outside the bubble and you realize no the crc is pretty still good but but you get that well if you look at all the tweets from the official offices if you look at the banner if you look at the the network if you look at all of those things and that's the world you live in that's all you see you're you're actually diluted from the reality of what the crc yeah. is yeah 
So what's, uh, as we're looking kind of forward to Synod 2023, what's kind of your advice or your thoughts on uh, what needs to happen at Synod 2023, or even we could go more broadly on like what steps need to happen moving forward for, for reformation to happen in the Christian reformed church. Yeah, I, obviously. I mean, I think, um, Jose in his last, you know, this is the work of Synod isn't done. His final address there. It's like, no, there's, this is absolutely true. The work of Synod has now just begun. And I mean, he was talking about, well, yeah, obviously that's the way Synod works, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It has to be played out in the classes and the local level, but I think there is this year, especially there's work that has to be done in ongoing Synods to work out what just happened and the reality of that. And so, like you said, you don't want to just be like, we're going to boot people out, but let's be honest about what's just been decided. Um, And then let's figure out how to, without destroying one another, how to actually to work this out. And if that does involve discipline, then it's got to involve discipline. So I think for next year, 2023, we've got to look at what happens over the next few months here. What movement is there toward repentance? What movement is there toward leaving graciously? And if there's not, then we have to have that. And like you said, it's not about kicking people out it's about having let's let's be honest some integrity with our confessional statements we covenant with one another but if these covenants mean nothing or if the confessions mean nothing or if they mean the opposite of what they've always meant historically then you know we've got to have those conversations and and say no we we have to have integrity here clarity if you want to use that word i know it's a horrible <laughs> horrible word <Yeah>. to use <laughs> So I, I don't know, and I have not been paying attention the way I need to. I'm going to have to start paying attention to what's going on, you know, particularly with the decisions that Synod made about Grand Rapids East and and Neeland and all that. I've not been as tuned in as I need to be to start thinking about, well, what is that going to look like come classes meetings next spring? Um, and then there's some other loopholes or some other, you know, we realized in, in classes I coded that people who are licensed to exhort, don't have to sign the covenant for office. You know, there are all these kind of things where you realize, oh man, there are these gray areas that mm-hmm. why, why is that like that? So yeah, um, I think the gravamon, uh, the question of the gravamon, people using the, gra- the gravamon as a super highly individual local option. We've got to have a conversation about what yeah. the gravamons are for, the confessional difficulty gravamons. Why do they exist? What's the end? Can they, are they just supposed to sit there and you can, have a, a disagreement with kind of whatever you want. And as long as your local council is okay with that, then I, that's not the way that's supposed to work. I don't think so. We've got to have some conversations about those kinds of things too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, for anybody wanting to dive deeper into the, it's we, nobody knows how to pronounce it. If it's gra- gravamen or gravamen or gravamen or whatever, there's a million different ways, but we all kind of know what we're talking about anyways. But if you want to dive deeper into uh, the purpose of them. Um, if you head on over to the Abide Project, uh, Cedric Parcells has been writing some really good stuff, clarifying what these really were intended. And he's, yeah, he is definitely disagreeing with Kathy Smith and and some of the other people who are pushing some of this agenda, even stuff that's being put out on the network and stuff like that. But uh, but I think he's got a lot of ground to stand on that 
I mean, who in the world thinks that that you could just file a gravamen for like if I could be a a total like Armenian Baptist and serve in a CRC church as long as yep. I file a gravamen? I mean, I don't think anybody thinks that that's a good thing or a wise way to move forward. So, um, anyways, head on over read read Cedric's stuff. That's really helpful because I think that does need to be clarified moving forward. But but I also just think even more so like we need to keep focusing on the gravamen thing, but I really think we need to just try to help. I really want to make a plea and I know zero progressives probably listen to this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure they don't find me very, they find me distasteful. I'm sure. But, but they like, like my, me, they like my, me, Jason. They like you. Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. Um, But my plea is like, just, why stay like i don't under i'm just i'm so confused like why stay and like and just like hurt yourself and hurt everything else like here's where we're at like can we just you're gonna hurt the denomination as well and so like if you find a place to go um like we'll help right like we'll help you pack up we'll we'll serve you we'll try to help you know like we'll do that we'll we'll help in any ways we can um, but why, why, why try to stay and run yourself and your family and your congregation and the denomination through the mud in this process? Um, there are plenty of places you can serve in good conscience. And so I really, that's one of the bells I really want to hit over the next little bit is just try to, what's a way we can move forward here? And I think that's the only way I, I think, I think that has to be clear from Synod. If you were on the Synod floor and you were listening to what people were saying and how we were talking, like there's no way we can move forward in unity. Like there's no third way here. Nope. And anybody who thinks there's a third way, I, like I'm really sorry, but this is going to be blunt. Anyone who thinks there's a third way is holding like our denominational identity to way too high of a standard. And uh, and that's that's like an idol at that point where you think if you think there's a third way um, and, and that's just not going to happen. It's unrealistic. So there is no third way. One side's going to win. One side's going to lose. And I think we've just kind of stood firm enough as a denomination that we're standing here um, on the, on issues of sexuality. And so let's stop. Let's, let's just deal with the reality of where we're at and not worry about trying to find this third way. And let's figure out a way to move forward peaceably. Yeah. There's whatever unity would exist would be a false unity. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a really, you're, you've said now the word conscience twice. And I think it's a really good, a good word. Cause it does have to do with for both sides of this has to do with we covenant with one another. We sign, we sign that covenant for office bearers. I, I want to be able to sign it in good conscience with integrity, intellectual, spiritual integrity. And I would hope that people on the other side would too. So Synod just said something about we didn't give anything confessional status. We we said no, it's always had it. This is what this has always meant. And anybody know, you know, you look at it honestly at all, you know that's what it's always meant. Um, only within the last five, ten years has it, you know, and people just didn't notice or whatever, or ignored it. So at least in the CRC, this is what this has always meant, and it's what it's always going to mean. So, yeah, you're going to, like, file a gravamen or gravamen, however you say it, and, no, have some integrity and and say, no, I can't do this. Um, 
and we'll have to do the same, you know, if it comes out that, well, after all of this, um, then a whole lot of us would have to do the same, but I hope, I hope we would have the ability to do that and the integrity to do that. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, there's been, uh, um, some conversation from, uh, progressives, um, frustrated that some of the conservative people were already had their foot out the door going into Senate or something like that. And I'm like, that's such a crazy frustration for you to have because, again, why would we stay in a denomination that we can't serve in in good conscience? Like for us, this is a no brainer. Like um, if, if, if this denomination is, if I'm not aligned with this denomination, why would I be a part of it? Um, that the whole purpose of denomination is covenanting together, working together in alignment. And so why would you remain part of something that you're not in alignment for? So like, that's just a natural thing um, and so we we're kind of asking progressives to do the same thing. Like you're, you're no longer in alignment with us where we're at. And so let's, let's figure out a way for you to find a place where you are in alignment. So, and I, and I think that actually highlights probably, you know, there is a question here that's underlying this. What is the denomination and what is the denomination for? And I think you and I would look at that. Yeah, the denomination exists. And having grown up in a non-denominational free-for-all, you know, where where this loose affiliation of churches, there isn't accountability. There isn't oversight. There isn't a covenanting together around a, a shared conception of what Scripture says uh, in which we, we hold one another accountable. And so for me, that's the gift of the CRC, that's the gift of reformed polity. Um, so to me, that's really the primary task of the, the denomination. Its existence has to do with holding one another accountable and, and equipping and helping and encouraging one another to do the work of the church. Um, and so I do wonder if there is, on the progressive side, I think the conception of the purpose, the point of the denomination is quite different. Uh, and it would have to do with all of those offices and all of the apparatus and the, the institutional bureaucracy and and all of that and the history and the and I don't want to say that the history is unimportant or the tradition is unimportant. I, I want to affirm those things, but <laughs> yeah, there, there comes this point where look, we sign our name to the covenant of office bearers. We don't sign our name to the history of Dutch immigrants forming reformed churches, etc. And so I, I think we need to be honest, you know, and maybe that's part of the problem is that we just have two different conceptions of what the whole point and purpose of a denomination is. And that probably needs to be brought to the surface a bit more in our conversations too. Yeah. Amen. Well, we are at the end of our recording. And so we always ask if you, what, what final words do you have? We have pastors listening to this. We've got office bears, elders, deacons, we've got congregational members listening to this kind of the whole spectrum of uh, the CRC, uh, what kind of final words do you have for our audience as you, as we wrap up this recording? No, no final words. Wisdom. It's just, yeah, keep doing what you got to do. I mean, that's it. Walk faithfully, walk faithfully, step-by-step, step. whatever God gives you to do today. That's what you got to do. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for a conversation with elder Rob Braun. But until then, don't forget, this is Christ church and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.